Welcome to the 1515, brought to you by the regulatory legal experts at the Maples Group. Here, you will learn more about the latest developments in the regulatory laws of the Cayman Islands on the 15th day of every month. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of our 1515 podcast. My name is Chris Capewell. I'm a partner and I'm head of the regulatory and financial services team here at the Maples Group Cayman Islands office. Joining me today is fellow colleague and senior associate in the team, Anthony Morginos. We're also delighted to be joined today by Dan Krugan, who's a senior vice president in our affiliate Maples FS located in Delaware. Please note the contents of our podcast do not constitute legal advice and do need to be taken as a general update only. Before we get starting, the usual housekeeping items to cover. If you're listening from your usual podcast app, you'll find any resources, documents, including a high-level copy of our presentation slides and speaker information in the description. And if you've clicked on the media player link sent to you via email, you can find this information in the notes section. Last but not least, please don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Let's get started. First off, very positive news for us and everybody in the Cayman Islands is the FATF. A couple of weeks ago, 27th of October, the FATF did deliver very welcome news that the Cayman Islands has now been removed from the FATF's increased monitoring list, often referred to what we call the FATF grey list. This decision comes after the Cayman Islands once again demonstrated our commitment to international standards by satisfying all of the recommended actions and successfully completing an on-site by the FATF earlier this year. In its press statement, the FATF confirmed that the jurisdiction had satisfied prior commitments given to the FATF and strengthened the effectiveness of our AML and CFT regime by applying sanctions that are effective, proportionate and dissuasive and taking administrative penalties and enforcement actions against obliged entities to ensure that breaches are remediated effectively and in a timely manner. Number two, by imposing adequate and effective sanctions in cases where relevant parties, including legal persons, do not file accurate, adequate and up-to-date beneficial ownership information. And three, demonstrating that we are prosecuting all types of money laundering in line with the jurisdiction's risk profile and that such prosecutions are resulting in the application of dissuasive, effective and proportionate sanctions. So with this big milestone that's been achieved, the expectation now is for us to be removed from the EU AML CFT list. We do have confirmation um, from the EU that once we're off the FATF grey list, the process should be fairly automatic to unwind us from the EU list. We do understand that the Ministry of Financial Services and Commerce of the Cayman Islands remains actively engaged and is in direct discussions with the EU officials. So with that positive news and a, a great start to the podcast, I just want to change tact a little now and, and move away from Cayman to the US and especially the US Corporate Transparency Act. We have Dan Krugan on the line and Dan, I know that this is very much your area of focus. So what I'm hoping to do is if we can just get a high level overview, noting the application of the Corporate Transparency Act. Most of our listeners are going to be very, very familiar with the Cayman Islands Beneficial Ownership Regime, but I'd expect them to have at least had some exposure to the US Corporate Transparency Act. And, and what I'm also hoping, Anthony, is that you can perhaps dive in once Dan's done his summary and we can talk about some of the key distinguishing factors as between the US approach 
and hear what we have in Caymans. Dan, without further ado, can I hand over to you so that you can give the listeners a high-level overview of the Corporate Transparency Act? Certainly, Chris. Thank you. Yes, just I'll, I'll give a very quick background on why it was needed and then an overview of the act itself. So as many of the listeners will be aware, millions of entities such as corporations, limit liability companies, limited partnerships, and business trusts are formed in the U.S. every year. Entity registration and formation is done at the state level with no disclosure requirements on the individuals that own or control such entities. Furthermore, the registration role is a little bit different in the United States. It's much more administrative and they're not subject to statutory requirements common in many other jurisdictions. And this leads to possibility for illicit actors to use these entities for illegal means. So the Corporate Transparency Act was passed in January of 2021. It goes into effect January 1st, 2024. And it's going to apply to all U.S. and non-U.S. entities created or registered in the U.S. by filing a document with a Secretary of State or similar office. All entities formed and registered prior to the effective date of January 1st, 2024 are in scope. And then new formations after the effective date will have to file within the prescribed deadline. There are 23 specific type of entities that are exempt from the filing obligations. They're largely going to apply to entities that are already providing beneficial owner information to state or federal regulatory bodies or are impractical for money laundering purposes. The regulator here is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. The reports are going to require disclosure on the entity itself. They will require information to be filed to FinCEN on the reporting company itself and all individuals who are identified as beneficial owners and company applicants. The beneficial ownership register is not public, and the Corporate Transparency Act will have broad implications on the formation and entity management process in the United States, and FinCEN estimates about 32.6 million reporting companies in existence on the effective date. Those are companies with reporting obligations. So Dan, just to chime in here, we're, we're saying that there's going to be close to 33 million U.S. entities impacted by this in, in what, seven weeks' time? Is that right? Yes. And those entities that are impacted, the 32 million, will have one year to file. So essentially, all 32 or 33 million of those entities will have to provide their reports before January 1st, 2025. Yeah. Wow. Huge. Yes. So I'll just kind of go into what information is required. A beneficial owner is any individual who directly or indirectly exercises substantial control or owns or controls at least 25% of the ownership interest. I will note that the definitions of substantial control and ownership interest are intentionally broad, so we're certainly encouraging our clients to reach out to the U.S. Council to get a good understanding of this language. Another kind of key point to the Corporate Transparency Act is it's really focused on individuals. So should an individual have beneficial ownership of an entity indirectly, there's no need or no requirement to report on the intermediary entities through which an individual has indirect beneficial ownership. So it's really just drilling down to the individuals that are identified as the beneficial owners. Furthermore, exemptions are not registered with FinCEN. So if you have a U.S. entity that is formed in Delaware or New York and an exemption applies, you simply just don't file. So it's also going to be key of how you're managing and documenting those exemptions should you ever be examined. And then with respect to foreign entities that may fall into scope here, I think it's for this audience and corporations that are filing with New York or Delaware, which may be uncommon, uh, just having tight controls around that process as well is going to be key to compliance with this act. So once those entities are formed or registered, they'll essentially have 30 days to make their filing or identify an exemption. However, there is a proposed rule, essentially a relief for all entities formed to register in 2024 that may extend that deadline to 90 days. And then, as I noted previously, entities formed to register prior to the effective date will have one year to make those filings. 
another kind of key here with the act is updated reports. So should any information change, you'll have 30 days to update FinCEN once you provide that initial report. If a beneficial owner has a change of legal name, those individuals will have to notify the reporting company and that reporting company will then have 30 days to update their FinCEN with the updated information. And then there are reporting violations, $500 per day, as long as the violation continues, as well as some criminal penalties. So there are notable exemptions that apply to investment company or advisors, venture capital fund advisors, certain securities reporting issuers, such as public companies, because they're already providing this information to regulatory bodies, as well as exemptions that apply to large operating companies. And then I think key here is also subsidiaries of certain exempt entities. So subsidiaries of a lot of these exempt entities or, or the registered investment advisors will be exempt. However, each firm or institution will really have to go through their structures and identify how these exemptions may apply on a case-by-case basis. And then there's also an exemption for pooled investment vehicles. So they're essentially going to be 40 act funds or private funds that utilize a 3C1 or 3C7 exempt private fund exemption and are listed on the registered investment advisors form ADV. It's going to be key for asset managers to review their book and identify the entities that fall under this exemption. A key here that subsidiaries of pooled investment vehicles are not exempt. So certain downstream SPVs or blocker splitter vehicles may not fall into this exemption. So it's going to be key for asset managers to review their book, these entities as well, and either identify exemption or possibly have a CTA filing obligation. I think particular to this audience in the respect of foreign pooled investment vehicles. So in this instance, if it, let's say a Cayman LTD is registered to do business in a U.S. state by filing a document, let's say a foreign registration in New York, and qualifies as a pooled investment vehicle, the special rule requires that foreign pooled investment vehicle to identify one individual who exercises substantial control. So I think that's going to be key. Again, we're really stressing to our clients that entity management and control around the formation and registration process is the key to compliance. So Dan, just on that last point there with the non-US entities that, that will be pooled investment vehicles, that's going to apply whether the Cayman vehicle or the other non-US vehicle is registered to do business in the US. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. So I think the, the largest theme here that we've been discussing with our clients is controls around entity management and having a good understanding of the act and having clear written policies and procedures in place to identify who qualifies as your beneficial owners, which entities are in scope, uh, which entities have exemptions that apply to them are going to be key. And then really applying those policies consistently across the board, because a lot of the language in the act can be a bit broad. So really the key is really just having good tight controls around the entity formation, registration process. And one of the things I've been saying is needing a Delaware entity you know, in the morning and having it a day or two later without much forethought into who owns or controls those entities are really going away. So really just, you know, updating your formation process is going to be key in the next few months here to ensure compliance with the act. Yeah, ma'am. Cool. Thank you, Dan. Um, that's really interesting. And obviously, you're going to have a fairly seismic impact on the U.S. service providers and, and U.S. clients, particularly with Delaware vehicles. Anthony, I know you're on the line now. Might be useful in what I'm finding um, fairly interesting here is just getting some comparisons as between the US and the Cayman system here. Dan, you, you helpfully mentioned the effective 
date was 1 January, several weeks away now, and entities that are going to be formed or registered after that date will have 30 days to comply. And then those entities that are already existing, I think you said, would have a, a year to comply. Anthony, on our side, has there been any further update in terms of when the Cayman laws might be coming in? And then also just to remind everybody what the proposed grandfathering, if any, will be. Thanks, Chris. So we haven't had a huge amount of updates since our previous 1515 podcast on uh, the beneficial ownership regime. What we know currently is that the passage of the bill is proposed to be passed later this year. Ideally, what we've been told is that it will happen in Q4 of 2023. The intention then is that throughout 2024, various aspects of the new regime will kick into force over time. We don't yet have clarity on exactly which aspects of the regime will apply when throughout 2024, but we do know that it will be a staged approach. What I'm expecting is that the proposed changes of the regime, which, for example, brings in new entity types in the Cayman Islands, I'm expecting those changes will be brought in first, followed by enforcement changes that will be brought in later on in the year followed by certain other administrative changes that are brought in uh, via the new law. So no clarity yet exactly on what's happening, but hopefully we, we get a little bit more of that in Q4 of this year. In terms of grandfathering, other than the staged approach to when entities will be brought into scope of the new entities, no real grandfathering at this stage. That might change when we see the new bill or any updated guidance, but it's a bit of a wait and see. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Dan, one of the other points you, you mentioned, which I thought was fairly interesting too, was just around entities that were exempt from the CTA, including pooled investment vehicles. And I think you mentioned that if you're exempt, you, you don't need to make any filings. You're, you're just exempt. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. So, yeah. you know, obviously from a governor's perspective, how are you documenting that exemption? And furthermore, should that entity no longer qualify for the exemption or any other exemption, that entity will have 30 days to then file their initial report. So again, documenting and managing the that process is, is going to be key. Yeah. And Anthony, is is it that simple on our side? I obviously know the answer to this. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, so the Beneficial Ownership Transparency Bill proposes some pretty significant changes to the regime. And one of those, probably the most significant change is the, the fact that we are proposing to remove or significantly restrict most of the available exemptions that previously or currently apply under the under the current regime. In terms of filing obligations, no, it's not the case that we can simply claim an exemption and not file anything. The way it works in Cayman currently and the way it will continue to work is that if you are claiming an exemption or what, what will come to be known as alternative routes to compliance, you do need to tell the registrar that effectively in your monthly filing, you would tell the registrar we are claiming this particular alternative route to compliance, either we're a listed company or we're a subsidiary of a listed company, or we are a mutual or private fund and we're claiming this limited exemption that's available to funds, but you do need to file that monthly. And that's done by the corporate service provider or the registered office. Well, thank you, Anthony. And Dan, just on the beneficial ownership register itself, is there going to be any public access to that? I think you mentioned no, is that correct? No, the database will not be public and the information is going to be tightly controlled and shared in certain circumstances, mostly around law enforcement actions with court orders. Okay. And Anthony, over to you, I guess. What's the latest on our register, not just for Cayman, I guess, for all overseas and, and crown dependencies in terms of making it public? Yeah. So I guess the short answer is it's not public yet. 
although there is provision in the bill currently and and what I expect to be the, the law once it's passed later this year, the register will not automatically become public on passing of the bill. I think the reason there has been a little bit of a pause on that can probably Um, We could probably point to a fairly recent European Court of Justice decision, I believe it was in uh, December of 2022, in which in summary, the judgment effectively struck down an equivalent public register in a European jurisdiction on grounds of what effectively was an unfettered public access to relevant information on the register due to certain human rights and data protection concerns. So following that case, there seems to have been a bit of a pause here in Cayman with pushing ahead with a public register. What we do know is that the Cayman government has been liaising with their compatriots in the UK, as well as taking their own legal advice on the public nature of the regime. So we do have the system seemingly set up in our bill and the ability for the registrar to effectively switch on the public register. What we don't know is once those provisions are enlivened, how the access would necessarily be facilitated. We are expecting and we have been told to expect further regulations and guidance on what a public register may look like in the future, what the qualifying criteria may be, what the various restrictions that might exist in terms of the register. So it's a little bit of a wait and see in terms of what that looks like and and how it would work. But we do have the systems in play that uh, are ready to be switched on. Yeah. One point here too, just to note is that Cayman is looking to implement this when it does become international standards. So I don't think you know, Cayman or other jurisdictions are just going to go out on their own here unless it does become international standard. And as you said also about the European Court of Justice decision, interestingly, US Corporate Transparency Act isn't pushing for full public access. And I also think the recent FATF recommendations are also not pushing for full public access registers. So there's a, a lot of different indicators um, out there suggesting that sort of full public access might not be best way to go but we'll see how that one progresses one of the other points that i did just want to talk about here dan you've referred to this as the corporate transparency act and donna you can chime in here with cayman comparison but is that right does it only apply to entities with corporate personality and would that for example include a a partnership that checked the box as a corporate yes it applies to all entities that are formed or registered by filing a document secretary of state So that will include corporations, limited liability companies, limited partnerships, and certain business trusts. And then with respect to non-U.S. entities, it's all entities that are filing a similar type document, registering non-U.S. entity into any U.S. state. Okay. Anthony, on your side, you know, in terms of entities captured by our beneficial ownership regime, is it is it brought in unit trusts potentially yet? So not under this regime. The Beneficial Ownership Transparency Act did make significant changes to the types of entities that are considered to be in scope for beneficial ownership regime purposes. Previously, we were concerned only with companies, so companies incorporated or registered under the Companies Act, LLCs, and limited liability partnerships. The Beneficial Ownership Transparency Act expands that list of in-scope entities quite significantly by adding limited partnerships, exempted limited partnerships, and also foundation companies. Unlike under the CTA, where you can have certain, I guess, foreign companies who are that are registered in, in, in certain states to be in scope of the Corporate Transparency Act in the in the US, foreign companies and in Cayman, foreign companies, foreign LLCs, foreign LLPs, foreign limited partnerships are specifically excluded from the definition of a legal person here in Cayman. 
Okay, great. And final question from me, and then, and then Anthony, you can chime in if you've got any questions. But Dan, is there any impact on the size of the entity here? Is is this regime, the CTA, going to apply to entities regardless of size? I only asked because I was in the US a week or so a conference, and one of the presenters mentioned that this would only apply to entities that were quite small in size. I think he said three or four million um, under management. Is that right? That didn't sound right to me, but I don't really know. I'll defer to you on it. That is not my understanding. It's, you know, this is going to capture large and small entities. Obviously, certain large companies are going to be exempt through the large operating company exemption or other exemptions that may apply. However, if they are forming or registering an entity in a U.S. state, they at least have to go through that initial analysis. Yeah. Okay. Which is the same with us under the beneficial ownership regime here, the proposed and the existing. Anthony, did you have any questions or sort of areas um, that you had noted in terms of differences? Yeah, I think so. One point that is probably worth just highlighting for the listeners and, and good to have you on the call, Dan, to talk about it is in terms of under the CTA, in terms of a corporate service providers or a formation companies obligations under the CTA, how far does that extend? Is it just a filing obligation? Are there any other additional obligations placed on those corporate service providers to do certain things? Are, are they exposed to penalty or enforcement? Yes. So while the obligation to file is on the entity itself, corporate service providers that are involved in the formation or registration do have disclosure requirements. I discussed the company applicant earlier. And really what the company applicant are are, are the individuals that are involved in the formation. And there's two types. There's what we're calling the direct company applicant. So that's the individual, typically at a corporate service provider, who directly files the document to create or register the reporting company with a U.S. state. So with respect to a Maples entity, that may be an individual at Maples that actually files the document with the Secretary of State. And then there's an indirect company applicant. And that's the individual who's primarily responsible for directing or controlling such filing, if more than one individual is involved. And that kind of gets to the, the point I made earlier around having good understanding of the act and the language within, because again, institutions will want to have a good understanding of who qualifies for their company applicants, because they'll have very similar disclosure requirements along with the beneficial owners. That's interesting. I think probably the, the point to make about the position here in Cayman is that under our beneficial ownership regime, corporate service providers have a, a fairly significant exposure to enforcement potential and I guess potential penalties if they don't comply with their obligations under the regime. So obviously there's a filing obligation, a, a regular reporting obligation that corporate service providers have to either file the beneficial ownership information or the exemption or alternative route to compliance for each of the, the in-scope entities for which they act as registered office. The new regime in Cayman actually imposes some pretty significant additional obligations on corporate service providers here. One of them, which springs to mind, is the new obligation on corporate service providers to review and verify certain beneficial ownership information provided to them by the in-scope entities. So effectively reviewing and verifying, for example, an individual beneficial owner's name or address or passport information. Under the current regime, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't extend to verifying the information that's provided to the corporate service provider with respect to the beneficial owners. Now the regime has been bolstered to add that additional obligation. And as you would probably expect, there are consequential breaches that can occur where a corporate service provider doesn't necessarily adequately review and verify that information. 
So it sounds like it's probably slightly more exposure here, here in Cayman under the beneficial ownership regime, but uh, that's that's what we have. Okay. Thanks, Anthony. Uh, agree with all of those points. And um, Dan, thank you for answering our questions and putting you on the spot. I, I guess now that we have a minute or so before we need to close, do you want to let everybody know what you actually do? We obviously know you're a subject matter expert on the Corporate Transparency Act, but, but what is it that you and your team do? Yes, I mentioned a few times that we really view this as, you know, the key to compliance is through entity management and control around your processes. So our team can work with your relevant teams to review, enhance, and update your existing entity formation process to ensure compliance with the CTA and work with your relevant teams to develop efficient workflows to support the CTA filings throughout the life cycle of the entities. Then obviously we can certainly assist with submitting the relevant reports on your entity's behalf. Okay. Thanks very much. That concludes everything that we've got to discuss today. Thank you everyone for listening and and thank you, Anthony. And thanks, Dan. Appreciate that you guys are incredibly busy. If you do have any questions on this, please do reach out to myself, Dan, or Anthony, or your usual Maples contact. Thank you again for listening and take care.